I dreamed a dream in time gone by, when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder, as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. He slept a summer by my side. He filled my days with endless wonder. He took my childhood in his stride. But he was gone when autumn came. And still I dream he'll come to me, that we will live the years together. But there are dreams that cannot be, and there are storms we cannot weather. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living. So different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. Are we pleased I'm not just going to stand here and recite the whole of Les Miserables? But this song is taken from Les Mis, and it's a song sung by Fantine. She's a young woman in Paris who becomes pregnant by a rich student. After he abandons her, she's forced to look after and bring up this child on her own. Originally a pretty and naive girl, she eventually sinks to become sick, an unstable prostitute, with her looks gone and, and several missing teeth, desperately trying to raise the money to send in support of a daughter. Now life has dreamed, killed the dream I dreamed. This may well be a, a fantastic play, a great movie, but it's fiction, isn't it? It's made up. It's not reality. But what happens when our dreams don't work out? What happens when our dreams are just crushed and dashed? Maybe you have plans to go off to university, but... You don't get the grades and you're left high and dry with a, an uncertain future, wondering what to do. Maybe you're single and, and you desperately want to be in a loving relationship, but that special person just doesn't come along. And so you struggle with that and you struggle with loneliness. Maybe you've saved all of your life in order to have that early retirement in order that you can travel the world while you're still young and, and experience all that the world has to offer. But you have health problems, resulting in all of your hopes being just shattered. And you're devastated. But yet other people, other people, their dreams are fulfilled. They get the career. They get the person to share their lives with. They're able to experience the wonders of the world. Why? Why do some people get their dreams and others don't? And where's God in all of this? Why does God not help me, not help us to realise our dreams? 
Well, there's no simple answer. There's no political soundbite that I can give you. There's no quick remedy to these questions. And at the start of 1 Samuel, the passage that we looked at a few minutes ago, we also find dreams that are just shattered. Dreams are shattered here on two levels. Big picture dreams, but also a very personal dream. When it comes to the big picture, where is the nation of Israel up to at this time? We know that the nation is God's chosen people. From the covenant with Abraham, the promise that God gives to Abraham, they're going to be a great nation in their own land, receiving God's blessing as they follow him as their Lord. They've been led by Moses out of captivity in Egypt. Through Joshua, they've entered this land that has been promised by God. God has provided for them priests. He's provided prophets, messengers from him. He's provided judges in order to give direction as they look to God as their king. And yet this is not where the nation is up to at this time. The book of Samuel begins at a critical time in the history of Israel. It was a period of total disorganization, a horrendous low moral state. In fact, the book of Judges, which immediately precedes this historically, ends with horrific stories of the nation. And the book itself ends with these prophetic words. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. They had dreams. And yet the reality was something radically different. But God was about to change all that. And he was going to use a man called Samuel to bring this change about. But the book doesn't start with Samuel. It starts with a woman, Hannah. This brings us to shattered dreams on a personal level. We see a woman who is in pain, a woman who is suffering, but not only that, a woman who brings her pain to God. So what about those times when our dreams don't work out, when we go through such times of adversity, because we all will at some point in our lives? Well, let's look at this passage uh, this afternoon and let's just see what we can learn from it. So this passage describes a woman called Hannah and her husband, Elkanah. Each year, we read that Elkanah and his family, they go to Shiloh in order to worship God. It's a festival time. It's a time of joy. But yet we see that for Hannah, this is anything but joyful. She's distraught and she's in a really troubled state. But on the surface of things, if you looked in on that, you might think something differently of her. After all, she's got a loving and she's got a caring husband. Our first impressions of Elkanah are of a man who takes God seriously. (coughs) He takes his responsibilities before God seriously as well. We can see that he is a, a man who has put his faith in God. 
He gives thanks to God and he honours God in a way that's appropriate at that time. Fantastic, you might think. Lucky Hannah. But this is the problem. Hannah dreams and dreams of having children. But she can't have any. She's childless. And even though she desperately longs to have children, she can't. And so she's devastated. And it impacts every aspect of her life. But why can't she have children? Well, this is what verse 5 says. And this is the crux of the matter in this passage. Verse 5 says, The Lord had closed her womb. And so that we don't lose significance of this, again in verse 6 it says, The Lord had closed her womb. And this is the challenge. Having seen a woman who is in bits, dreams wrecked, and we find that God, God not only allows her to go through it, but God is the cause of it. You see, we can't get away from the fact that all things that come our way or don't come our way ultimately come from God. He's sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over everything, you and I included. He's sovereign over this world. And so he's therefore sovereign over everything that happens or doesn't happen in our lives. Now we'll look shortly at what this means for Hannah and for us. But this is a fact. God is sovereign. And this understanding, as we will see, will affect our behaviour, especially in difficult and unwelcome circumstances that we might find. But for Hannah, Hannah's lowest point was not having been childless, not having any children. That was bad enough. But it was having a nose rubbed in it. And it became intolerable. Look at verse 6. She has a rival in the form of Penina. Penina was probably the second wife of Elkanah, as Hannah couldn't have children. And here we see that she used these special times to bait to taunt and tease poor Hannah. So Hannah became broken-hearted, crying out in anguish. You can just imagine it, can't we? Just imagine the scene. What have you got to thank the Lord for, Hannah? You come here to give thanks year after year, Hannah, but the one thing you want, he won't give you. It's obvious, isn't it, Hannah? God doesn't care about you. Not only does she have a rival in Penina, but her husband is somewhat insensitive to what's going on as well. We see that in the questions that he asks in verse 8. Motivated, no doubt, by his love for her, he tries to compensate for the fact that she's got no children. And to be fair, he doesn't resent her. He doesn't blame her for not giving him children, but rather he loves her. Yet his lack of tactfulness must have been hard for her as well. 
And all of this has been going on for years. Years of pain. Years of anguish. Years of dreams unfulfilled. Maybe we can relate to this in some way. Maybe you have felt like this in some other circumstances. But at this point of weakness, what does Hannah do? Does she snap and does she give as good as she's got? I know I would. But she doesn't. She could have. Does she rage in private? Or does she mourn to her friends? Or in terms of our culture, does she turn to the drink or the drugs? No, she doesn't. But up until now, Hannah has been the passive recipient of the actions of others. Whether the Lord closing her womb, Penina taunting her, or Elkanah's words of comfort. Well, Hannah's action, even though seemingly insignificant, will turn out to change not only her life, but the life of the nation of Israel, and ultimately your life and mine. God can work in amazing ways in seemingly unamazing people. And it is at this point of weakness that she turns to God in prayer. Out of her misery and through her tears, Hannah prays to the Lord. You know, if our lives went along swimmingly, if we didn't have a care in the world and everything was just hunky-dory for us, we wouldn't really, truly grasp the power and the grace of God. Would we really learn to come to God ourselves, uh, like Hannah, in heartfelt prayer? You see, it's only when we're at our weakest, it's only really at these times that we learn to trust in God. Someone once said that if dependence upon God is the objective, wouldn't weakness be an advantage? If dependence on God is the objective, wouldn't weakness be an advantage? And it's very important, and yet it's a very difficult concept, isn't it, to get our heads around. We need to see, though, Hannah's weakness in the light of God's power. This links with what's said in a New Testament book, in the book of James. In James and chapter 1 and verse 2, this is what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Through our weakness, God shapes us, God changes us, God makes us into what he wants us to be for his glory. 
how can God make anything come from this desperately sad woman? Well, often God, out of our total inability, it's his starting point. And this is Hannah's situation. Perhaps God allows us to go through tough times, difficult times, when our dreams fail in order to show his power through our weakness. Hannah is now found with no one to turn to. And we see in verse 10 that in in bitterness of soul, she prays to the Lord. We read that she pours out her heart to God, moving her lips but making no sound. And here comes Eli onto the scene. Eli the priest, he looks upon Hannah and he thinks that she's drunk. With all that she feels, with all that she's wrestling with, he says in verse 14, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Poor Hannah. How insulting for her. Can it get any worse? Hannah is mocked by Penina. She's mollycoddled by Elkanah. And now poor Hannah is misunderstood by Eli. Notice though what Hannah says in verse 11. She says, O Lord Almighty, or maybe in your translation, O Lord of hosts. She knows that she is praying to the Lord over everything, all things, the Lord Almighty. This is who she's crying out to, and she knows it, the sovereign Lord, the ruler of all. Hannah knew that God was sovereign, and to know that your suffering has ultimately come from God, it could have led Hannah And it could lead us to react in different ways. What about fatalism? Well, if God is sovereign, then who am I but to accept? Or we could have resentment. If God has done this to me, I want absolutely nothing to do with him. And at different times in our lives, we might feel... Um, we might react in either one of those ways. But this wasn't Hannah's response. You see, faith in God means knowing and trusting God's sovereignty and God's goodness towards us. Or to pick up on what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and so therefore Paul goes on to say nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord Hannah knew the truth Hannah knew the reality that all that she had all that she ever would be all that she could be was from the hand of God Why did God 
allow her to go through this adversity because there was a sovereign Lord at work to do something for Hannah and the son through Hannah. Faith understands as Hannah knew. Faith understands that there is absolutely nowhere else to turn. Why does God allow us to face tough times? He allows us to face tough times so that we can pour out our hearts to him in the same way. God allows us, God wants us to do this. And so we need to learn from the example of Hannah to pour out our hearts to God. And we see that Hannah's prayer changed things. In the first place, it changed her. From verse 18, we find that Hannah, she's no longer downcast. Outwardly, circumstances They've not changed for her, have they? In fact, nothing has changed. She still hasn't got any children, but yet she's full of joy and she's resolute. She came away from bringing her requests to the Lord, a different person, different from the one Elkanah had tried to comfort back in verse 8. She was no longer weeping. She was no longer refusing her food. She was no longer sad. She'd trusted in God. She trusted in God's providence. Whatever that would look like. She didn't know whether she was going to have any children or not. But she trusted in God. You see, we can sometimes have the wrong idea about God. We can sometimes see him, if you like, as a a, a watchmaker. Somebody who's, who's made a watch winds it up and then just leaves it to tick along. Tick, tick, tick. But that's not what God is like. Rather we find God, having created this world, he doesn't just sit back hoping that somehow we come through. That's not the God of the Bible. Rather we find him at work, providentially, so that he might work out his grace and his glory in us so that God might work out his plans. That's the God that we have. So Hannah has prayed in verse 11. O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me. And then we read in verse 19, and the Lord remembered her. God remembered her like he remembered Noah in the days of the flood. God remembered her like he remembered Abraham when he destroyed Sodom. Like he remembered Rachel when she conceived Joseph. Like he remembered his covenant with Abraham in the days of Moses. And so God remembered Hannah but this doesn't mean that somehow God has had some memory failure some memory loss that's not what it's really saying here it's saying that rather that it indicates that his will uh, will unfold his plans will unfold 
And so he will grant her a son. Why did Hannah go through this? To shape her so that she would have a deeper focus on God. Or in the words of James that we looked at earlier, so that she may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Through this one lonely, broken-hearted woman, God works in a powerful way to rescue his people in a desperate situation. A situation in which everyone did as he saw fit. God chose to use Hannah. Now, from this example of Hannah, we need to be really careful this afternoon. Really careful. Because it would be wrong for us to draw the conclusion from this passage that we've just looked at. That God will somehow give us what we want. That there is a recipe here from the example of Hannah. That firstly, God will humble us. Then secondly, we will bend his ear. And then thirdly, he will give us what we want. Fantastic. Not quite. We've got to be careful, particularly with these types of passages, careful when we look at human characters in Bible narrative, in Bible story, that we look at it in the right way. You see, there must have been many, many other childless women in Israel, wasn't there? And I'm sure that many of those women prayed sincere, earnest prayers to God. And so we're told of Hannah, not because she is typical of every person, but because she's unusual. Why was Hannah's prayer granted? Was it because her prayer was somehow more sincere than all the other women in Israel? No. Was it because she was the most miserable of all the childless women? No. Was it because she'd made some extraordinary vow that we read here? Certainly not. This passage, you see, is not primarily about Hannah. This passage is not about Elkanah. This passage is not about prayer. But you'll find lots of, passage, lots of sermons on prayer on the internet from this passage. But this passage is all about God. Rather, this is a passage that speaks about God and an example of how God works, not Hannah. It's a foretaste of how God will continue to work in the life of Israel, in the life of his kingdom. This passage points us to the most unexpected starting point for the answer that God is going to give for the leadership crisis of the day. Who would have looked twice at this miserable, sobbing Hannah for the answer to Israel's predicament? We expect, don't we, to find answers from the powerful. But Hannah, she was a nobody. But what this passage shows us is that God cares. Does God care? Yes. He cares about the leadership 
of his people Israel. And so he gave Hannah a son, Samuel. Does God care about you and me? Yes. In a similar way, he cared about the leadership, not just of Israel, of this world. And Hannah's son was just a small picture of another son. A son we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Hannah's son was surpassed by Mary's son. Because God cares for us, for you and for me, so deeply that this is expressed in Jesus Christ. And we saw that really clearly last week. Every time God lifts us up, it's a reminder of what God does on a grand scale. It reminds us, if you like, of God's grace in a big way. From the lowest point that we could ever be in. Ever. Lost and helpless without God. God has given us his son Jesus. So that we could be right with him. Why does God allow our dreams to be shattered? For our dreams to be unrealized. So that our eyes might turn and look to Jesus. And help us to realize our need for him. Every time we face tough times, we can see God's hand at work. And so it's a reminder on a mini scale of God's great and grand salvation plan. When we feel that our dreams are shattered, we can dream again. Because we see the wonder of God. His power in our weakness. We see freedom that we can have to pour out our hearts to a God who cares and who listens, who's interested in us. Uh, We can see the grace of God in our lives and so we're reminded of all that we have in Christ. We started this afternoon with Fantine's song. It finishes with the words, Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. But we can have a new life. We can have a new life in and through Jesus so that we can dream again and again and again because we have a God who cares. And we have a God who has promised us an inheritance that truly is beyond our wildest dreams. That's Hannah's God. And that's our God. What a wonderful God we have.